Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hi and welcome to Slamfire Radio. This is episode 131 for November 13th, 2015. I'm one of your hosts, Adriel Michaud. And I'm another one of your hosts, Matthew McClatchy. And I'm the other one, Trevor Furlock. <laughs> well, uh, why don't we get into uh, straight away what we did with guns. Matthew, do you want to start? Do I ever, um, I guess. Uh, I went hunting with Curtis and uh, it was... Mostly a complete failure, except for the part where we enjoyed ourselves, just kind of hanging out. Did you see oh. anything? Uh, we did see a rabbit. Um, this right. is this is a typical Matthew hunt where um, we get out of the truck, we grab our guns, we put our well, we put our orange on, grab our guns, load up, start walking. Not really hunting yet, right? Because you haven't even gotten five feet from the truck. You're just, we're still right there. We're just getting ready to get into hunting mode. And I was all set this hunt to take all of the advice to heart that I got uh, a couple weeks ago and, and walk quietly and do everything properly and, and, you know, all good. And, you know, like I said, just, just hadn't quite gotten to that point yet because we were, we were right there. We just slammed the doors. There's nothing around for miles, right? Take three or four steps and a rabbit takes off like a shot. <laughs> just about stepped on it. Like that's how close it was. So had I started the hunt from where I was standing right beside the truck, I probably would have seen it because it wasn't really all that camouflage because it's starting to change colors. And, uh, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of white patches on it. And of course it's still very brown out cause we don't have any snow yet. So I, I would have seen it and I would have gotten a rabbit within 30 seconds of starting hunting, but I, you know, hadn't started yet, but I guess that's a lesson to me. Start right away. But, uh, yeah, so we saw a rabbit. And that what else was, were you going for? Uh, grouse. We were grouse hunting. So you were rabbit hunting and grouse hunting, not snowshoe hare and grouse hunting? Um, yeah, why not? Look, I got to draw my line somewhere. Apparently, that's it. Uh, no, if you're going to do one right, you have to do them both right. You, says who? Uh, well, says you. No, 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 I didn't say that. Could I believe you. you just said that. All right, then I'm going back to Partridge. You can call if him partridge, I guess. If you won't respect snowshoe hair, then I won't respect grouse. Here's here's the difference. Partridge is two syllables, grouse is one. Snowshoe hair is three syllables, rabbit is two. I guess I'd take the easy way out. <laughs> that's, that's that's very McClatchy of you. <laughs> very McClatchy. <yeah. laughs> very nice. Awesome. Uh Jump yeah, no, the, the hunt was uh it was fun. We we had a good time. Um just kind of walked around some some nice fields. His his a family has some really nice property that we tramped through and uh, saw some nice sights. And uh, he saw a couple deer. I didn't see them, but he saw a couple deer as well. Um, but uh, no, just a, a nice day out in the woods, basically. But uh, nothing nothing to show for it. But it was fun. So This was Saturday? Yes, it was the last Saturday, yeah. Okay. So that's all I did. So cool. what did uh, what did you do, Trev? I, uh, I taught a black badge, actually. Um, 
did the classroom portion here at the house rather than doing it in, in my classroom because it was only for one person. This right. is a, a university student who won't be around in the spring. So we decided to do the uh, theory and practical now. So he's considered trained, not certified. Uh, he'll only receive his black badge pin and move to the certified status after he shoots his, successfully completes his first match. Generally, as you know, because you've taught with me just about every class that I've done, um, we like to do it all in one shot so that we don't have to track people after the fact. Mm -hmm. Give you know the class, the qualifiers, the match. Here's your pin. Off you go. Um, but he won't be around. He'll still be in. Uh, yeah, he may be in school. Anyway, he was available. They wanted me to do it, so I did it. So, but we did the um, classroom portion here at my home which made the practical component of the classroom so much better. It was just him and I, and when we got to draws and reloads and turns, we were able to do it with guns and get really hands-on and try on belts. And so that part of it was really, really cool. He, um, his mother's boyfriend is a black badge instructor. So when he arrived, his test was, he got almost 100% on his test, and he actually knew the background to the material. He understood the context of it. So he was very, very well prepared. Um, he had been out shooting a Glock 35 quite a few times before, maybe three times before the class. So, And we covered grip and stance the night before. So the qualifier went fairly quickly as well. And... Uh, it was a good day. Uh, it was a little cold, but it was uh, and very windy. But it was a good day on the range. So uh, he's uh, he's off and running. We've got to soon have another one, a part of our Ipswich, New Brunswick family. And then Sunday, I road tripped around the province with uh, uh, the wife, and then uh, Luke Giroux started off by dropping um, the wife off at Luke Giroux's place, and then Luke Giroux and I from uh, Bank Switch Boutique. He uh, he and I headed to. Um, Sussex, where I picked up some archery gear from uh, somebody I used to shoot with on a regular basis and picked up my Hooter Shooter, which is a piece of archery equipment used for tuning and adjusting your equipment. And uh, it's actually, think of a shooting rest for a rifle where you strap the rifle in and you shoot the rifle with some mechanical aid that presses the trigger for you. Well, this basically does that for your bow. It takes the human uh, variable out of the equation. You strap your bow into this machine, you line everything up, you level everything, you aim the bow with micro-adjustment knobs on the machine itself, and you can actually shoot your bow 70 meters or more. Uh, in theory, as far as you can shoot it, this machine will shoot it for you. So why would you want to shoot your bow out of a machine at 70 meters um, to fine-tune the, uh, the setup? I've seen myself, and there's videos on my Facebook, I've seen myself make minor adjustments to the arrow rest and shrink my group size at 70 meters just by a little fine fine tuning and tweaking of things so this is a piece of equipment that him and i share but he's out of the sport so uh when i was out of the sport he had it and now he's out so, so i went down to pick it up so i'll use this to set up my own bows plus uh, i'm i've joined the local archery club here so i'll use it to work on some of their bows and um, when i start doing bow tuning clinics again it will come with me everywhere i go after we left there, we went to visit a gentleman by the name of Luc Martin. And Luc Martin is a wounded warrior. He was uh, blowed up, if you will, by an IED in Afghanistan while serving with um, 
an armored division and has taken up archery. So he has sustained a very serious back injury. He can still walk, but he shoots from a chair or shoots from a stool rather. So he doesn't stand while shooting. He sits. And, um, it's, it's interesting that this year's charity for the charity shoot is, um, oh, what's it called? Um, Soldier On. So Soldier On is the charity for this year. And Luc Martin uh, benefited from Soldier On. They bought him his archery equipment when he got into the sport. So how oh, cool really is that? Cool. Yeah. yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I actually met somebody who's benefited from Soldier On. So uh, he's a phenomenal archer. He asked me if I could coach him last year, and I wasn't really available at the time to coach him. Now that I'm getting back into archery a little bit more, looking forward to working with him. But I don't know that there's much that I can teach him because he's already – pretty much surpassed everything that I've ever done in archery as far as score-wise. So, he's, uh, I don't know. He doesn't need much help, actually. Um, but I went to see him, and he uh, he, he gave me a bunch of gear that uh, he was no longer needing, that he's already kind of outgrown or switched on to different things, because I need to scrounge some stuff until I save up some pennies and buy a bunch of stuff. I've got a free bow coming, but uh, I've got to buy all my other equipment. So, anyway, when I got back from the road trip, picking up all this archery gear and stopping by Moe's for a, a holster, I set up a, uh, a target bow, and uh, I'll be shooting that uh, for the first time in 18 years on Saturday, so I've got my hunting bow now, and I've got a, a target bow, so two very different animals, basically, picture a hunting rifle and a target rifle, you know how they look different? Well, a target bow and a hunting bow, same thing, they're that, they look drastically different, right, where uh, a target rifle would have a long bull barrel, and a hunting bow is short and compact, and a target bow is long and has stabilizers to help you aim it and all that good stuff. So, And then Tuesday, I made it out to the range to shoot the Squirrels Challenge again. This time, I did it with uh, my MMP. That wasn't even fit to take a picture of. It was so bad. Um, CZ Shadow was not bad. I posted a picture of that target and shot it with my Eagle again. Went back to the range Wednesday afternoon on Remembrance Day with my Garand. That was a bit of a fail. I loaded up some test loads to the max, max charge for that powder. Um, with the Garand gear plug installed, unfortunately, it still wouldn't cycle the gun. I was supposed to bring my factory ga- gas plug, but I forgot. So that was a that was a fail. I'll have to make it. Well, you know what it means. It just means I got to go back to the range with my Garand. So, yeah. Also, I have my Mark 18 out and a couple of different handguns to shoot the Squirrels Challenge with. I spent, I went through 400 rounds just on the Squirrels Challenge, just on Wednesday, and I still wasn't able to pull off a perfect score. I shot my FN FNS and my SIG P320. Uh, I got a couple of targets that were worth worthy of posting, but uh, still no perfect score. Trying to get 8 out of 8 on this thing is incredibly challenging. When you consider, have you seen it yet, Matthew? Uh, yes, I have. So there's a, a, a candle with a flame. Well, the flame is barely large enough to get two 9mm bullets on it. So five yards, it's still still a lot of work. It, you know, And it's an awesome, awesome, awesome challenge because it really gets you to stress the fundamentals. You really need to understand how to press your trigger, and you really need how to understand how to focus on your front sight. And it's kind of challenging because... Normally, we focus on the front sight, and we just kind of let the trigger fly. 
But here you're having to concentrate on your trigger press. So you find yourself with your concentration shifting from the front sight to the trigger press, from the front sight to the trigger press, and that can cause problems. You need you need to consciously focus on one while the other one happens subconsciously. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's taking accuracy and marksmanship to the max. I got to tell you, this one's not a walk in the park. I said I was gonna, I said all kinds of things. I ran my mouth on Facebook, and it's uh, I'm really afraid it might bite me. Because Brian, right now, as far as I know, Brian Bolivar service conditions guy is in the lead with his p320 and i swore that i would not let him beat me and i said and then i was like not only am i going to beat you brian i'm going to beat you with my p320 so you can't say that i did it with my fancy ipsic gun he he promises that he'll claim i did it with my fancy ipsic gun anyway but uh yeah i uh, i think my mouth has written a check my butt can't cash this time so out of those five pistols, which was the uh, which was the easiest to shoot? Which one which one felt the the closest to uh, to hitting a, an eight out of eight? Oh, it'll probably probably be my STI or my FN. I actually found my FN more accurate than the CZ. Um, I spent most time uh, with my FN because even when they were out, they were barely out. So I think that's the one that's the most promising. And the FN trigger is not light. It's not a single-stage trigger like the CZ or the STI Eagle. It's a striker-fired trigger, and out of the box, those triggers are almost 7 pounds, but it's a it's a decent 7 pounds. It's not creepy. It's not sloppy. It's not spongy. So you can handle a 7-pound trigger if it's a good 7 pounds and if you know how to press it. Yeah. So, well, yeah. the M&P uh, stock trigger is definitely uh, really spongy. I found it, it hard to shoot with. Yeah, it was, and it just... You know, the, generally speaking, polymer pistols are not going to be as accurate as steel pistols. They don't lock up as well. They're just, these are duty guns. They're not competition guns or bullseye guns. So we're, we're expecting a really high level of accuracy out of these guns. Um, if you put a, a, a patch, like for patching a target in Ipsic on a piece of paper at five yards, you know, it's, it's an inch square. And you can get a lot of bullets into that one-inch square if you're being careful. Then you transfer over to the target for the challenge, and some psychology gets involved, right? Especially if you start counting score before you're done, and oh my God, you're putting pressure on yourself. And anyway, it's uh, they've outdone themselves this time. So, yeah. What about you, Adriel? What did you get up to? Uh, mostly, um, you know, preparation for hunting. A little bit of pre- preparation for three gun uh, in the coming year here. Uh, so for hunting, I'd like to use my uh, my M1 Garand for uh, uh, kind of cl- close in shots. I've got kind of kind of from from the place where I'm hunting, I've got two ways I can go. One way takes me to uh, a huge field where I've got uh, ranges out to five six hundred yards, um, and going the other way is close range only, and I'll be looking at uh, a maximum distance of around eighty yards. Uh, so I'm going to use the M1 Garand for any any time I go for the the short walk kind of a thing. Um, and here in Alberta, we're limited to five rounds for hunting in a semi-automatic rifle. So even though the, the Grand gets a, a pass uh, with its eight-round clips for um, uh, just for shooting, for hunting you're still limited to five rounds regardless of the fact that it takes these eight-round uh, clips. So um, I looked around a little bit. I couldn't really find uh, like a YouTube on, uh, video on it. You, you can just buy five and two-round two clips uh uh, online and that kind of thing, but being in Canada here, I wouldn't have gotten those clips for another what two, three weeks, kind of a thing. Question. Yeah. Um, 
uh, maybe you said it and I missed it because I am texting Luke. Uh, why do you want to modify a clip to a five round? In Alberta, we're limited to five rounds for semi-automatic hunting. Really? Yeah. So they put in a provincial law that messes with a federal law. Yeah. That's unfortunate. You guys get get messed with it too. I mean, when you when nope. it's hunting season and you can't bring out your uh, two two three, right? Yes, we can. Oh, you can. I can. No, take- but we have caliber restrictions. Oh, yes, Edjo, we can't hunt a uh, small game with anything bigger than a two two three. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've we've got no. provincial laws that are stupid here too. I mean, Not every province wise. has their own. Not capacity wise, I can have my non restricted two two three semi auto with a Beowulf mag all year except for moose season. That's the only time I'm not allowed to have that on a varmint license. Other yeah, but is that, that any dumber than caliber restrictions? I mean, I'd, I'd personally, I'd rather live in Alberta where I can only have five in my gun and at least be able to carry whatever caliber I want. Oh, that's an interesting point. I, I don't know which one. If I had, if I had to pick one of those, yep, yeah, sure, okay, give me five. Because rounds, really, me- hunting. I mean. I not on I'm not that guy guys. I'm just saying you really don't need more than 5 shots usually. Now Shouldn't I do it. know there are times when you do and if you can I'm all for it. I'm not against having more capacity. I'm just saying in most situations I could probably get by with 5 rounds in a semi-auto and I would much rather be able to have a semi-auto 306 or 308 than uh 223 or 22. So I'm just saying, if, if we if we had to pick, I, I'd pick the Alberta laws personally. But you know, whatever or neither. Uh, pick pick a place that doesn't have these stupid laws in the in the first. Yeah, there you know, go. like Anyways. Vermont. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but see, this is why I, the the inconsistency from one province to the next frustrates me. Why is it that I can have a Beowulf mag in the woods here, but he can't there? You know. Yeah. I can take my Garan and hunt with it with eight rounds. Why can't he? When I take my Garan in the woods in New Brunswick. You know, kittens don't die. So if it's okay for me to do it here in New Brunswick, it should be okay for him to do it there in Alberta. There's n- and it, well, it, it's it, it, they don't have to make sense. They just have to exist. Welcome to gun laws, right? Worst the worst one, and then I'll I'll move on. You know, in the UK, you have to have a suppressor, but over here, suppressors are illegal. Well, when they told them they had to have suppressors, was well, there? I'm not even going to do it. Never mind. Move on. <laughs> So tired of it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love yeah. to have a suppressor. That would be that. That'd be excellent for hunting. Anyways, I made some five round. I made two of them. Um, so you know, hunting, I'll, I'll I'll carry these two. That's ten rounds. That's plenty. I don't need any more. You know what? I'm not going to need more than one. That's thirty odd six. I'm going to be short range. Uh, I'm going to hit where I'm aiming, and uh, that's that's that. But um, and they're, it's a little bit harder to to load the the grand with five rounds because uh, when you pop it in from the top, it doesn't automatically throw the bolt forward. So you kind of have to do this dance where you're you're pushing them in and letting the bolt go at the same time. Anyways, it'll work. It'll be fine. Um, and if it's not, I'll I'll go to my Mosin for uh, for close in. Um, yeah. So I so I made a a video and a how to on that because I couldn't find one online. I kind of modeled my mods after uh, Fulton Armory. Is it Fulton? Some commercial, some commercial five-round clips that I saw online. I modeled them after that. I did a terrible job with my Dremel, but they work. And uh, if anyone else wants to, to make their or has to make theirs uh, like these, at least there's one video out there that um, shows one way of doing it. Um, also, uh, also got in some of these uh, FMA shot shell carriers. I think I talked about them on on the past shows. Where these are like these cheap Chinese rip-off ones that you can get online. 
Um, they're thirty-five bucks for the uh, the eight shell carrier. That's in a kind of like a low two configuration, uh, which is how I want to be reloading my shotgun. I don't I don't like really like the ones where you kind of strip out four at a time and then you have to like juggle them in your hand and, and load them in one at a time. I just I don't have the dexterity for it. Um, whereas the load two is a very gross motor skill pull two off ram two into the into the uh, shell pour on the bottom. So, um, but, the, but the problem was a lot of the load two shell carriers are either not in stock or super expensive here in Canada. Like I think the, uh, the AP customs, uh, shot shell carrier, which is like really nice quality. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're, you're paying for a good quality part. Uh, it's up to, I think $135 mm-hmm. just for one eight shell holder. So if I mean, you think, can find it. Yeah. If you can find it, I think, uh, CTC supplies had some and they, they usually have, have a lot of that stuff online. Um, so here again, here locally at my, at my club, we, we run high shot shell count, uh, stages to get outfitted with three of those things. I'm going to look at that's 400 bucks. And, uh, that's a little bit too much for, for me at this point in, in where I'm shooting and, and kind of the competitions I'm doing. So, um, one of the other competitors uh, had one of these uh, FMAs, and they said, "Yeah, it kind of works. It's it's not uh, terrible." And uh, me and my buddies ordered ten. Uh, so I've I've assembled the first three. Um, they're kind of I don't know. Like I I had to fit things with Dremel, like use a Dremel and and kind of fit some of the uh, parts so that it worked. I had to fabricate a tool to uh, tighten some of the nuts on it. So this isn't like buy them and start using them kind of thing this is really because i'm looking at their website right now and they look pretty good i'm <laughs> yeah. on the fma's website and i'm yeah. checking them out and hmm. yeah they look all right but i mean i so I've, I've got a video anyways of that too and some of the different fit uh problems i had on them i checked all 10 of these all 10 of them had the issues so i don't know if they had a bad run of uh of the plastic fingers that hold the shot shell carriers or not but none of them fit and uh the, the, they have these like little plastic cavities that are supposed to capture a nut, and then you're supposed to tighten against that cavity. And, and think about like a, a poorly fit plastic cavity holding onto a metal nut as you're trying to tighten something down. It's not going to work, right? Um, so that's the tool I had to fabricate was something that kind of got in there and held that nut while I tightened it down. Um, but like it, it's got like a knockoff uh, tech lock kind of a thing for attaching to your belt. That's fine. Um, the aluminum backer plate's fine. Like a lot of the other stuff is all right. And I did some uh, like abuse testing on it where I dropped a prone, like having them on the front of my belt, uh, dropping to prone, kind of moving around as if I'm, I'm, I'm aiming with uh, with an AR or something like that um, and seeing if any of them came off. And none of them came off even if I really beat them up. So uh, I don't know. It, you know, it, for they were 35 bucks each uh, shipped with tax. Um and at that price, I just I, I can't ignore it. I'll just buy an extra one so that I have it handy and uh, uh, go from there, kind of a thing. So uh, that's the uh, yeah. So I don't know. I'm holding one right now, and there it looks like it'll survive uh, at least one season. So and how see. much were they? Thirty-five bucks each. Nice. With the tech lock on. Um, well, not on. But you have to assemble it, but uh, yeah, a little bit lower priced and a little bit more reasonable because now I've got my three my you know uh what is that 24 shells on my belt um for just under say like 100 bucks and uh that's a lot better than having just one of those things right mm. as long as they you know last like 
two seasons or whatever. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking here, and just the design on them. I don't I don't think that I'm going to be able to. Uh, I think that any any failure is going to be minor. It might fail to hold like one or two shells, and it's not going to fail to hold all of them. So I don't know. I'll just hold lots of shot shells on my belt, and if some fall out, so be it. Kind of a thing, right? Mm. So I'll watch your video, and then I'll wait till you run them in a couple of matches. Then I'll decide. What, what are you running for shot shell carriers right now? I'm using the four by four, where you okay. scoop up four at a time and then thumb them in from the bottom. You know. Yeah, one of my buddies got one of those, and, and I tried using it, and, you know, I just don't have the dexterity for it. I want something that's gross motor skills, something where I'm just ramming two shells at a time. And uh, what, what, what did you think of it? Which one, the 4x4? Four four? Yeah, the 4x4. Four four. Uh, I can use it. Um, I'm, all, I'm all right with it. I do some, I've got some dummy loads here, so I do some dry fire and practice loading and stuff before a match just to get tuned up. I if you watch online, and these videos were really popular when the uh, the style that you're talking about first came out from APA and a couple of other ones, there's guys on a shot timer timing themselves, and uh, they're faster grabbing two, throwing the gun, and going back for two more and throwing them in the gun than they are trying to manhandle four. Yeah, and, and some guys have started doing quad loads where they grab, yeah. they grab the four stacked up, um, it's just one guy at my club that's capable of doing it. Everyone else just does load two or load one at a time kind of thing. But if you can imagine grabbing four at a time and then scooping your two in and then scooping the next two in, you're still using gross motor skills, but it's a little bit more, I don't know, it's a little bit more involved than just doing the load two at a time kind of a thing. It's gross motor skill, but there's still some technique and coordination involved. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to make sure you push it all the way in before you your hand away otherwise the spring is throwing that shell through the air so it takes some practice uh but i think you could probably master it quicker than trying to hold four shot shells in your hand all at the same time you got to get them out of the caddy correctly you got to hold them correctly and then feed them in without dropping one quickly yeah yeah it's i i tried it and the load two came really quick and it and uh it wasn't nearly as as uh, catastrophic when I got something wrong at the you know just reloading because when you're doing three gun and you're reloading your shotgun it's a, like you drop shells it's it's going to happen so you yeah. want something that's as foolproof as possible so that you load your shotgun and uh, and and start and keep shooting. I just um, to practice the load two method you're talking about. I'll sit on on the couch and I'll put the dummy shells on the coffee table in front of me, stacked on top of each other, and I just reach and grab them off the table the same way I'd grab them out of the carrier. And I'm just more interested in practicing loading the shotgun that way with two shells stacked on top of each other and ramming them both in and then going back for two more. Then, because not uh, you can do that dry fire without having those carriers. You don't need those carriers to practice loading this method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I use the carriers, but um, you know, I just slap them on a belt and uh, go kind of near my couch so I can throw my shells somewhere where they don't roll around and make a bunch of noise on the on the ground and wake my kids up. But because uh, you know, with kids, the only time I can practice this stuff is kind of later at night. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll load them from the carrier and just throw them in the shotgun really quick, and then uh, yeah, and then just kind of scoop them all out and do it all over again using dummy rounds, of course. Mm-hmm. I, um, I did you make your dummy dummy rounds or did you buy yours specific? I had them made by somebody in my club who loads shot shells. 
Uh-huh. So I don't know what he did about a powder charge. There's no powder in there, obviously, and spent primer. And, but he actually filled them with, with shot for me so that they were the correct weight. Mm-hmm. And he, he made some for me in two and a half as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, because the Versamax will cycle two and a half if you can find them, and you actually get 10 rounds in a gun. Yeah, I, I I made mine uh, myself. There's a couple of YouTube videos out that uh, that show you how to make them. Um, and what do we do? So I grabbed I grabbed some shot shells at the range that were really weird looking that I I absolutely do not have uh, live rounds for. And uh, uh, we put what did we put? We put some Kleenex or something like as a as a buffer in the bottom of it, and then hot glue, and then uh, I think we use BBs. And then hot glue again, and then cr- kind of crimped the uh, the plastic over again, but all just manually. Like we don't have any shot shell reloading. Uh, it would be a lot easier if you had like a, a shot shell reloader, so that you could put mm-hmm. the crimp on it again. But uh, we just manually crimped them, like recrimped the shells, and uh, they work fine. Mm. Uh, like I said, a dab of hot glue to hold it all together is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, that said, you can you can get a box of dummies, like 25 rounds uh, from Brownells for like 25 bucks or something like that. So, uh, you know, unless unless you're really short on time, I would just I would just buy them online and just get the 25 dummies shipped to you because they say dummy on them. They're really obvious, you know, all that other kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, that's uh, that's all I did in guns. All right. Uh, for upcoming events, uh, this first one I'll read. Um, this is the first annual Ronnie DeGroote Rock Out with your Glock Out Steel Challenge. That's on June 4th, uh, 2016. Uh, the next one, uh, Trevor, do you want to take that? Yeah, that is the sixth annual charity shoot in support of Soldier On. That'll take place on the 25th of June in Kingston, Ontario at the Brockville District Fishing Game Club. If you're interested, contact New Shooter Canada or check out the events page on Facebook. At least two of the three hosts will be there. Adriel, is that something that you could realistically look at attending? The uh, charity shoot? I yeah. think I'm, I'm, I'm still on the fence right now. Sad or be a commie. I mean, those are your choices. <laughs> I think you had mentioned so, someone, yeah. someone's driving there from BC, right? To the charity shoot? Yeah. No. no. Driving? That would be crazy. That would be crazy. Mm. Are there roads connecting British Columbia and Ontario? <laughs> yeah. No. No, it's I don't be believe a portion that's dog sled. It would just be a. It would just be a matter of me getting in the way so that they have to pick me up on the way. Anyways, there you go. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, please do. I mean, yeah. you ain't been to a shoot. So you've been to a charity shoot. Yeah. We've got Americans coming now. It's a big deal. Just gotta, just gotta get the the days off to to drive out there, kind of a thing. Right? Eh, quit your job. Get another one when you get home. <laughs> it's Alberta. Yeah, that's right. Hey, you, you've seen the price of oil right now. Once the price of oil is back up, I agree with you. But I don't want the price of oil to be back up. I don't care if you guys are unemployed. <laughs> Although I do want a pipeline from you guys to us, and then put it on a boat and get it out of here. Yeah. Well, and while they're too. at it, frack New Brunswick. Frack the hell out of it. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a good idea. Well, then, then you get your job locally, right? Yeah. So for the rest of Canada, not everybody in New Brunswick wants to be on unemployment. Just saying. There we go. Uh, Matthew, you want to take the next one? Yes, I do. The next one is the Handgun Fundamentals 1. It's uh, going to be in St. Paul, Alberta, August 6th. Yeah, that's next year. Uh, cost is $200 per person. There are four spots left. So that hasn't changed since last week. Uh, we'll be covering grip, stance, sight picture, trigger control, as well as basic manual of arms. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, guys. Um, like I said, there's four spots left. So sign up, send in your money, secure your spot. 
Come and, watch uh, Jason Phelps' 1911 fail. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Wait, are we charging uh, if you if you bring a 1911, you have to pay 250? Um, only if it malfunctions. Well, we know it's going to malfunction, which is going to require extra time from the instructors. So That's they should it, right? pay more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. But if you take five dollars per per malfunction. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So you can either pay the fifty bucks, and that covers all your malfunctions, or if you're if you're feeling brave, you can do five bucks per, and hope you get less than ten. <laughs> like ten. anybody is going to get less than ten malfunctions in a nineteen eleven. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about we offer a discount to the polymer pistol, folks? Uh, one ninety nine. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> Bring a striker fired gun. Get a one dollar discount. Yeah, we'll give you a loony if you show up with a striker fired gun. What, uh, what are you guys thinking for a round count for that thing, approximately? Three hundred, three fifty. Sweet. That's a lot for a day. So that's a lot of trigger trigger pull. It is, and we realistically probably won't take that much. But if I say two hundred, somebody's going to run out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's better to overestimate than underestimate. I, I'm much happier going home with extra ammo than not going home with owing somebody ammo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this last one here is from Jason Philp. It's uh, some sort of shotgun event called Foreign Invasion 2016 in Coyote Springs, Tucson, AZ. I don't know where that is. Which country is AZ again? Uh, as, 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 Kanistan. as Kanistan. As I'm pretty sure it's as Kanistan. Oh, just missing off everyone here on an hour. That'll be January 28th to 30th, a total of 500 targets. So if you want to really give your shotgun a workout, head out to that. Um, to get more information on that, go to www.coyotespringsclays.com and shoot some traps. Uh, the next one here, this is uh, news. Um, and I just saw this one on CGN today. It looks like uh, Hoplite Tactical Supplies is going out of business. Uh, so if you wanted to get into the firearms business, they're selling, and I think it was fifty grand. Thank you, seven? liberals. Yeah, so I hope like, this is not the beginning of the uh, the great purge from Canada. Well, you know the 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 reason they gave was uh, family, and uh, I think it was like family or health or something like that. Don't quote me, but uh, it's it's on CGN, and uh, I think that they had a, they, like they had some really good. Um, uh, breakdown of what the business would include. So if you're in, if you're looking to get into the firearms business, there's a business that's selling. So hmm. there you Is go, Matthew. Press Check Ventures should buy Hoplite. Take it over. Sure, there you go. That'll be fine. We can do that. Raise fifty grand. There you go. Uh, did you guys have any other news items? I do not. Well, that could take us into our main topic. And for our main topic here, we'd like to talk about archery. Woo-hoo! I'm out. Gone. <laughs> Bye. See you guys. And we don't hang up when you talk about airplanes or, or, or apple vinegar. That's cool. You are better than me. I'm fine with that. Goodbye. You could learn a thing or two. There's not, you know, <laughs> you don't even hate archery. You just like to pretend you do. It's not the worst thing in the world. Of course not, because it's a shooting skill. It is still shooting. It's cool. It's, it's being- okay. Look, it's fine. Let's talk <laughs> bows and arrows. In the beginning, there was the bow and arrow. And everything was good. And then gunpowder was invented. And then it was better. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. But so, thousands of years, you know, bow and arrow was what was what we used. That's that's what we used for hunting and and uh, for fighting and and for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just cool if you know how to do it. And it's so quiet. Like you can. The thing is, I can I can go in in. Uh, 
like on an acreage or something like that where there's uh, lots of houses around i can shoot my bow and arrow and it's not going to bother anyone because it's not loud uh with my rifle i would need a silencer and those are illegal because uh they're scary like i've seen before in this province nuisance tags being given out specifically to bow hunters because the deer that are considered nuisance are going to be taken out of residential areas and in this province, the minimum distance for discharging a bow from a, a dwelling is 100 meters. So you can be in a residential area and still hunt with a bow 100 meters away from an animal or from a, from a house. And yeah, you can be popping deer left and right and nobody's the wiser because nobody knows when the bow goes off. It's, it's quieter than an air gun. Yeah, nobody knows until a, a wounded deer jumps into their backyard and starts bleeding out all over the place. <laughs> well, you know, it's as long as it's a lethal wound, that's okay. Yeah, no, we I, I've I've seen the same. Uh, I don't know if they're 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 tags because they're they're just a general tag that you can get here in Alberta. But we have uh, a game. What is it? WMU, a wildlife management unit unit for uh, Edmonton and for Calgary. And I think, you know, because of discharge laws, you're not going to be able to discharge it in, within city limits. But I think that uh, that WMU would you, would allow you just outside of city limits to take deer. Um, because, yeah, they don't they don't generally want a bunch of deer, like, hanging around, you know, downtown, getting in the way of cars and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, you know, if, if you're missing out on potential hunting opportunities if you're not into archery hunting, um here in New Brunswick, we get three weeks ahead of the rifle hunters. I get way more than that here in Alberta. We can start September 1st. Wow. So that's like two months of, uh, of, of hunting that you can get in uh, with a bow before November, before general season, which is November 1st here for rifle. Yeah, and by that time, there's been, you know, once rifle season opens up, you might as well not be in the woods anymore with your bow. There's just so much pressure on them. Yeah. So, well, why don't we jump into some of the basic terminology and types of bows and basic accessories that are involved in, in archery? Now, why don't we uh, start with the three major groups of bows? You've got compound bows, um, traditional bows, which are both recurve and longbow, and then even crossbows. I think those are the three major groups. Do you want to describe what each one of them is? <laughs> I'm sure you've done some training on this. So here's 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 where I'm at for archery. Uh, I've I, I've got a bow. I've got a I've got some arrows and a release. But uh, I can barely remember what kind of bow I've got. I think it's a uh, okay. But you but law. You know, all right. You know when you when you ask a hunter like, hey, what kind of rifle do you have? And they say thirty yeah. odd six. Uh, that's okay. that's me for archery. So I well, do it. <laughs> you you know the difference between a compound bow, a traditional bow, and a crossbow. So a, a, a compound bow, unlike a traditional bow, will have uh, wheels or cams at the ends of the bow. And what that lets you do is pull a lot of weight and then not have to hold that weight at the very end. So when you've got your draw all the way back, what ends up happening is it gets really easy to hold the bow so that you're not holding a full 60 or 70 pounds of, of pressure back, um, yet you've, pu- you've stored that energy in the bow very effectively and you can release it um, instantly, uh, unlike a traditional bow, where if you're pulling, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder, and eventually you have to release because it's too much weight to hold, and it's very difficult to hold on an animal because 
you ha- you you're aiming is is at the the most the toughest part of the draw, right? Right. So basically, a compound bow will actually speed up when the string is released. Uh, it's gaining energy to a point, and a recurve bow is even, or a long bow, either one is essentially losing its energy as the string goes forward it's immediately losing its energy but a compound bow is gaining energy because of the pulley and cam system that is there it will speed up to it'll go faster the recurve or longbow when it's at full draw that's the max you're going to get out of it it's not immediately slowing down i mean it's it's launching the arrow but it's as it goes forward, it's losing energy, where the compound bow is actually gaining energy out of the cam system. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's not a requirement of, of a recurve bow, but most recurve or traditional bows have it so that you have your string, you have your stick, and that's kind of it. You're, you're shooting your arrow around the, uh, uh, the, the, front, the riser. The, yeah, the, the riser. Whereas a compound bow, um, they're typically made of, of machined aluminum. Um, some of the really fancy ones are made from carbon fiber, and they have uh, a cutout in the middle of it that the arrow goes through, so that the arrow and the string and most of the uh, the riser are all in a single line. So it, it makes for a much uh, a much more repeatable um, release uh, shot, I guess. Well, when we're talking bow terminology, what you're referring to is center shot. So when a compound bow. The riser is designed so that the arrow sits in the center of the bow's geometry, lined up perfectly with the string, and the arrow is shot through the center of the bow right off of the string, which is in the center of the bow. And a recurve bow or long bow, the arrow sits on a notch cut into the shelf just above where the archer puts his hand, and that's in fact not the center of the bow. It's close because they notch into the riser, the handle of the bow, but basically the arrow is shooting around the uh, around the the riser or the grip of the bow when the arrow is released, which is part of the challenge of traditional archery. Yeah, and then, because that that makes it so that one of, one of the problems that you have with that again, that you wouldn't have with center shot is that your arrow needs to be of a certain um, strength, I guess. It's called spine. To, yeah, enough enough to bend around the the uh, riser the riser. Um, but not so stiff that it uh, shoots off. Well, if, if uh, sorry, I'm. No, you're correct. What'll happen yeah. is if the arrow is too stiff, it'll kick off to one side, not fly correctly. Mm-hmm. So, and regardless of whether it's a compound bow or a traditional bow, the arrow spine, which is the stiffness of the shaft, has to match the peak weight of the bow. If an arrow is too weak, it will flex too much when fired and potentially fail. If an arrow is too stiff, it won't flex enough and kick off to one side and have a bad flight. You can compensate for this with the fletching or veins that go on the back of the arrow, the feathers on the back of the arrow. They will help correct the flight and help make things go straight. But ultimately, if the arrow matches the bow, as in the spine to the peak weight, then in, in, in theory, you don't even need feathers to get the arrow to fly straight. But they, they certainly do correct and help it fly straight. So your your arrow needs to be matched to your bow in archery, much like a bullet needs to be matched to a, a rifle. And I'm talking, you know, preferred bullet weight. If you have a, 
a barrel with a twist rate that prefers a heavy a heavy bullet, then that bullet's going to fly better than a light bullet. So it's kind of the same idea. And crossbows, you have crossbows that come in recurve style without cams, and they're typically a lot heavier in draw weight than a crossbow that is a compound style crossbow. You get a compound bow crossbow that has the cams. That's only a 150-pound pull. When you start getting into the recurve crossbows, you're up into the 200 and 225-pound pulls to get the same speed that you would get out of a cross uh, a compound. Yeah, they're just that much more efficient. I, I guess you know for hunting, the, when you're looking at arrows for your for your hunting bow, um, you kind of want the heaviest, the the lightest one that will not fail. For your pound pull, so you don't want to get too heavy an arrow because you're you won't get as much speed out of it. Um, but you don't want an arrow that's too light because it will uh, it could potentially fail on the way out, and that arrow is pretty close to your hand. You don't want it failing because you might end up with splinters of uh, carbon fiber through your your hand, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you want to you want to be sure to not confuse lightweight with weak spine. Because there are very lightweight arrows that are made of composite materials like carbon fiber that the grains per per inch could be 9 grains per inch instead of like 11 grains per inch. But because it's carbon fiber, it could still be stiff enough. So you're, you're right about heavy. If you go heavy, you're not going to get as much speed. A, a bow will fire a light arrow faster. That's, that's obvious. But it's like shooting... Uh, 0.224 projectile out of a 22250 or shooting it out of a 223. So if you shoot a 50 grain bullet out of a 22250 uh, and you shoot a 50 grain bullet out of a 223, it's the same bullet. But when you shoot it out of the 22250, you get a lot more velocity, so it's going to do a lot more damage. So archery is kind of like that to a certain degree. Um, I like a heavy arrow with a heavy broadhead because I want it to penetrate. I want it to blow through the animal. I want it to do a lot of damage. But at the same time, if I go too heavy, then I'm going to lose speed. And speed is important because if your bow is flat shooting and you make an error in judgment, you think the animal's at 25 yards and it turns out it's at 30 yards. Five yards is huge. But if your bow is fast and flat, you won't completely miss the animal. You'll still be in the vitals. Yeah, exactly. Trying to because they are quite a bit slower than a a rifle or even a pistol. You have to like any gaining speed. If you can gain twenty or or thirty FPS, um, that's going to do a lot for you for your uh, uh, for your arc when when you're shooting out. Mm. And for um, ballistics, really, the kinetic energy, right? The faster you can make that object go, um, the better it's going to be. So yeah. um, carrying on with. Uh, basic accessories let's say someone wants to get into bow hunting well they're going to need a bow and when you go to a store you can see much more today than 10 years ago you can buy a bow now as a package a package will include the accessories needed to get out there and start practicing with your bow when you buy a bow generally you get a a bow with no accessories so it's kind of like buying a rifle without a scope And why don't they sell rifles with scopes? Well, because the scope that I might want to put on that rifle is not the scope that Matthew's going to want. It's not the scope that Adriel's going to want. 
and archers tend to be quite picky when it comes to the accessories that they use. Um, what one archer likes for a sight, another archer may not. What one archer likes for a stabilizer, which is a device that goes on the front of the bow that absorbs vibration and noise and actually stabilizes the bow while at full draw so you can aim without the sights moving all over the place. Some people like them long, some people like them short, some people like them light, some people like them heavy. So for years, you you would buy just a bare bow, a bare bow, and then you would pick the arrow rest that you would want. That's something that attaches to the riser that the arrow sits on, uh, and it's launched off of that when you release the string. It helps keep the arrow, it supports the arrow while the arrow leaves the bow. That's what the arrow rest does. Um, there are many different kinds. There are some that drop away as the arrow passes by. There are some that actually contain these fibers, and they call them a whisker biscuit, and the arrow passes completely through it. There are some that just have two two forks, and the arrow sits on that. There's as many different arrow rests as there are bows. Um, there are uh, different types of sights. You can get a sight with a single aiming pin, or you can get one with multiple pins. You can get some that... Uh, you can adjust distance on the fly. Some have multiple pins set for different distances. So you would buy the bow and then you would pick your accessories. Generally, you're going to need an arrow rest, a sight, uh, a stabilizer, a quiver to hold your arrows on the bow so that the bow and the arrows are contained in one unit. And then you're going to need a, if you're shooting a compound bow, which you should really, I'm very biased, um, you're going to need a mechanical release aid. And a mechanical release aid is a device that actually clips onto the string and you draw while this thing is clipped on the string and it has a trigger. And you activate the trigger and that opens up the uh, the mouth of the release aid, which releases the string. The days of pulling a bowstring with your fingers, wearing a glove or a tab, uh, nobody's done that since the 80s, really. It's all about mechanical release aids because they're very consistent. Holding a bowstring with your fingers and getting a clean release and not affecting your accuracy is nearly impossible and takes thousands of hours of practice to master. And when you're shooting an animal, you want to be as consistent as possible. So um, you can get two styles of releases. You can get a wrist strap that goes around your wrist and the mechanical device that clips onto the string has a like I said, basically a trigger, and you activate it with your trigger finger. Or you can get a handheld release, which is my preferred style, and you hold it in your hand, and it has a jaw that clips around the string and has a button that you wrap your thumb on that's used to activate the release. And there are even some guys that hunt with back tension releases, but that's a story for another day. So what um, kind of release are you using, Adriel? I'm using one of the uh, wrist strap ones. Um, I think it's, uh, let's see here. True Fire Hurricane, um, which it it'll it'll just use the trigger. It's also got the back tension release feature on there, where you can kind of hold the trigger um, as you pull back, and then slowly, you know, release your trigger finger, and, and that'll fire the bow. Oh God, uh, I'm not doing that though. <laughs> I prefer just to have a regular trigger uh, with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the idea behind that. It's not actually a back tension style, but the idea behind that is people flinch and punch the release, okay? That that trigger is supposed to be set stiff, not light. And people set them up really light, and then they just tap them with their finger, 
And that is the absolute wrong way of doing it and can lead to problems. I know some people are relatively successful, but you're not getting the ultimate accuracy by literally tapping the the trigger on the release to activate it. The release should be set stiff enough so that you can wrap your finger around it and then you actually pull your your with your back muscles, you pull through the shot and the without moving the finger, this the pressure added to the finger through the pulling motion will cause it to open and release the string. But that only works if you get a quality release that has that capability. The idea of putting your finger on, pulling back, and taking your finger off is to ensure that you're pulled hard into the back of the wall of the bow at full draw when you release. Because what will happen is you're aiming, and then you're, you're stopping to aim to activate the trigger. And so that's where the target panic, that's where the flinch comes in. Aiming, push the trigger. Aiming, push the trigger. And so you'll, you'll, you'll see the perfect shot and you'll be so concerned about activating the release to make that perfect shot that you'll overdo it. And you'll, it's like punching the trigger on your rifle or, or on your handgun and dipping the muzzle. You'll hit the trigger too hard and you'll uh, disrupt the alignment of the sights. And sometimes you'll disrupt the alignment of the sights so bad that you'll miss an animal at 20 yards. Yeah, I can uh, I can definitely tell when, uh, like, like trigger pulls is one thing that I constantly need to work on. And uh, when I'm at the range, I can tell when, uh, just just off the trigger pull, not even seeing the arrow hit, I, I know when um, I haven't done a nice clean pull of the trigger uh, because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel right. And I can <laughs> you can see the results on paper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we call it punching. Yeah. So... So are there any other basic accessories someone needs? Oh, well, back to packages. You can walk into Cabela's now or your local archery pro shop, and you can walk out with a bow that's ready to shoot. It's got a sight on it. It's got everything on it. I mean, some packages will even come with a uh, a release and a bow case. Um, but you need to know when buying one of these packages or buying any bow is that archery equipment, compound in, in particularly, It's not as critical with traditional bows unless you buy a bow you can't pull because it's too heavy. But if you go buy a compound bow, they're not one size fits all. You have a draw length. Your draw length is your wingspan divided by 2.5. So if you measure your wingspan from the tip of your middle finger to the tip of your middle finger and divide that number by 2.5, that is what's known as your draw length. Okay, It's close enough. It's within a half an inch. So let's say it comes out to the number 29. When you go buy a bow, the pro shop will probably ask you what your draw length is. If you don't know, they will measure it for you, and then they will adjust the bow to that draw length. A lot of newly manufactured bows have a range of adjustment on the cam. Some of them will go from as short as 27.5 inches all the way out to 30.5 or even 31 so they know how to adjust these to make them fit you. And it's important that you don't buy something off eBay if you don't know how to set it up or don't know if it's going to fit because uh, you can end up with a bow that's completely inappropriate for you. So if you're thinking about getting into archery, go find an archery club. I would go to a club before a shop, find out if there are any actual certified coaches there who can help get you set up. There's going to be somebody there who's willing to help you but he's probably the guy that spends most of his time talking instead of shooting. That's the guy you want to avoid. The guy who talks about doing it instead of actually doing it. 
and every club has that guy and people are listening going, oh yeah, I know, I know that guy. We've got two of those at my club or we've got three at my club. Try and find out who's taken the trouble to become a certified coach and gotten training or find the guy who's the most successful shooter. That might not necessarily make him the best teacher, but he's certainly going to be very, very knowledgeable. So kind of sit back and for a while hang out and see who knows and who talks like they know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, and, and the newer bows are better at this because I've seen a lot of the new bows have that range that you mentioned. They're like 27.5 to 30.5. Um, my, my bow's got that, that range in there. Um, my previous bow, I had a, a Bowtech Tomcat, which is like a real value-priced kind of a, a bow package that's a little bit older. Uh, didn't have that nearly that kind of a range uh, for uh, draw length on it. Uh, so I sold it because I couldn't get it to... Uh, without without getting brand new modules for the the uh, uh, like the cams, uh, I wouldn't be able to adjust the length to where I need it to be adjusted. But the, the modules can be inexpensive. You have some cams that have the adjustment built in, and some cams simply need to have the modules replaced. And uh, when I was shooting Bowtech, uh, it was my my uh, Constitution bow, which is similar kind of from the same era as the Tomcat, just a set of twenty dollar modules. Sometimes they're not even twenty bucks, and they come in half inch increments. So they're a pain if you don't have them. You have to track them down. Um, it's nice to have a, a, a rotating module that's built into the cam like PSE is doing, but um, it's possible that uh, the Tomcat could have been adjusted if you could find if you could find the modules. Yeah, I know the guy, the guy I sold it to just got modules for it, and that's what he did. Okay, yeah. Tomcat was a decent bow. I remember it. Uh, I remember it well, and it was a great way to get started. And um, I'm not sure about the quality of Bowtech bows now, but back in uh, you know 2006, 2007, 8, 9, the Botex were pretty good. Um, why don't we talk about the different types of archery competitions real quick? You're going to have to take away that for the most part because all I, all I do with mine is hunt. Okay. Well, there, there are three primary areas of target ar- archery. There is indoor target archery, which is shot at 18 meters. Here in Canada, we shoot on a FIDA target which stands for Federation Internationale Tiolac and it's some European archery association called FITA and when you're shooting indoors everybody shoots from 18 meters in a FITA tournament everybody shoots on a 40 centimeter target there you can get a single face target with 10 scoring rings or you can get a three spot and um, competitive target archers and competitive Olympic-style recurve archers, they shoot on a three-spot. If not, they will smash their arrows. They will Robin Hood their, their arrows. Um, the Robin Hood is not a myth-buster thing. It happens very often, and it gets expensive. So uh, we switch to a three-spot. So we have just f- three individual score faces of five rings, maybe six rings, and uh, you put one arrow on each ring. So there's in an indoor tournament, you're shooting 18 meters, and you shoot 60 arrows. You're called to the line. You have two minutes to shoot three arrows, and you do that 10 times. You take a quick break, and then you do it 10 more times, and a perfect score is out of 600. The world record right now is held by a Canadian from Ontario, Christopher Perkins. He holds the world record of 59 out of a possible 60 perfect bullseyes in the X-ring. 
So quite a quite a feat for a young Canadian um, from Ontario. He, I believe, broke that record. No, he was under 21, I think, when he did it. Wow. He was also, uh, he holds multiple records at different distances in outdoor. And when he was a junior, he made it, he got a spot on the Canadian senior team and went to the world championships and won. And then I was on the team as an assistant coach when we went to Poland to the world juniors. And he, he won the, he won the senior men's competition, but only finished second at the world juniors. There was a lot of pressure on him after winning the, the senior men's worlds. Everybody automatically expected that he would win the juniors as well. But hmm. I don't know of a junior that ever made a senior team and won a world championship. So just a phenomenal archer. And, um, so that's indoor 18 meters. 60 arrows then there's outdoor which is the most common one back when i was shooting a lot of competitive archery outside is what we would call the 1440 so there's four distances each distance has a score of 360 you start off you shoot um, 36 arrows at um, 90 meters on a 122 centimeter face target then uh, 36 arrows at 70 meters on the same size target 36 arrows, uh, 50 meters on an 80 centimeter target, and then 36 arrows again at 30 meters on a 80, fa- 80 centimeter face target. And uh, it's awesome because you take into a lot of environmental effects, Ugh, heat, cold, wind, rain, doesn't matter unless there's severe lightning, you're out there and you're doing it. And then my preferred archery is field archery where the targets are in the woods and you have targets ranging from five meters all the way to 60 meters on a marked course. It's called field archery, but ironically it's shot in the woods. And what's cool about field archery is, you you know, it's uphill, it's downhill, it's in the woods. So you could be shooting over across a river, a stream or something. And so the terrain comes into, into play and every field archery course is different unless, you know, your club sets one up and you shoot the same course every weekend. But even then, every once in a while, you try and change the distance of the targets and, and locations. But uh, that was always my preferred because I knew the distance. So I didn't have to worry about guessing the yardage. Uh, and it was targets. And it was in the woods. So, And then we have 3D competition. So 3D competition is shot on a three-dimensional foam animal with scoring rings. And it's shot both indoors and outdoors up to a maximum distance of 60 yards, unless you're at some kind of outlaw 3D match where they decide to really stretch them out just to test the archers. Um, and I, I've seen some some pretty interesting 3D courses where they've even made you climb up a tree and shoot from a tree stand. So uh, they can be uh, they can be a lot of fun. So cool. Well, it sounds like that would be more of a, a realistic hunting simulation kind of a thing, right? It is and it isn't. Sometimes, you know, the people who shoot 3D archery aren't always bow hunters. Like we had um, a ground blind set up an indoor tournament last year and guys couldn't get into it with their target bows. And the uh, club president, who is a bow hunter, not a competitive archer, mm-hmm. it was insistent that this was this was practice for hunting. Well, actually, no, it's not. This is a tournament. And it's not a competition to see who can get inside the ground blind. It's a competition to see who can shoot the most accurately. And you can't discriminate against the guy with the Olympic bow that's 72 inches long and has a bunch of stabilizers hanging off of it. If he can't get in there, 
then you have to toss it because we all have to be able to shoot from the same location. So, and then they'll set up, they'll set up targets and positions, um, to make them challenging. And a hunter will say, well, I'd never take a shot like that while hunting. You're not hunting. That's a foam animal. <laughs> so it depends on the culture and the environment of the club. Some people keep it pretty sanitary and, and target straight on. And others are like, Oh, only bow hunters should shoot 3d. So it's, there's one thing's for sure. The 3D crowd is a lot more laid back and relaxed than the target crowd. The target crowd sometimes tends to be snooty and uppity. Not all, but it's certainly more formal and more structured than a 3D shoot. Hmm. A lot more camo on the line at a 3D shoot. <laughs> They've even, throughout the years, there's been dress codes pushed on target archers. Um, there are archers that I shot with when I first got involved that remember when everyone had to dress in white. <laughs> really? Give me a break. Anyway. Oh. Well, so you, you could, like, if, if you were a hunter and you wanted to see really where your skills were, it sounds like 3D would be the thing to do because you yeah. take your hunting bow out there. You may not be competitive against a guy with the huge stabilizer that goes out front of his bow, um, but uh, you will find out where your skills lie and you'll you'll discover a lot about uh, your abilities and, and kind of where, where you should make a shot and where you shouldn't, right? Yep, it's great practice, especially if you're in the woods at judging distance because 3D is unmarked. So you have an idea because generally, you know, you'll get out there. Oh, oh, it's the moose. Well, longest distance is 60 yards. They're going to put the biggest animal at 60 yards. And then so you adjust for 60 and find out that they stuck it at 45. <laughs> you know, So it's great practice for learning how to judge distance. Um, also, you know... Uh, Am I hitting in the vitals? Now, unfortunately, the scoring zones and some of the animals are not where you would actually hold your sights while shooting at a real animal. They're all kind of center center. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you want to be a little bit far, a little bit farther forward to the shoulder, you know, and a little bit lower for the heart. But scoring zones often tend to be just center center of, uh, of the rib cage. Huh. So a hit in the guts would still be scoring you. It would give you, uh, well, guts, no. The scoring zone, the scoring zones go 11, 10, 8, and then everything else is a 5, except for like a nose or a hoof or an antler. Mm -hmm. um, so generally, anything outside of the 8 is going to be guts. Okay. Well, it's not that bad then. Better so, than what, what you could just set up on your own if you, you know, because those, those 3D targets are really expensive. So Really expensive. The local yeah. club here is buying 26, and one of them is a uh, company named Reinhardt. They make probably, well, in my opinion, they make the best 3D animals out there. And they're buying the Reinhardt Moose. It's a $3,000 target. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. So when clubs have 3D targets, they, they take really, really good care of them because they generally, they only use them for competitions generally because um, they're just so blasted expensive. What's cool about Reinhardt targets is all of them, regardless of how small it is or how big it is, the vitals section, the part with all the scoring rings, is replaceable. The McKenzie's, which is the company that was around for decades before Reinhardt came on the scene, you could have a deer, and the deer was in three pieces. The head, the front leg, and part of the rib cage, and then the other part of the rib cage, and the back half. And so if you needed to replace the vitals, because they were shot out, you basically you were stuck with the head and the rump, the back legs, and you had to buy this 
major section in the middle, which was almost half the cost of the original animal. Where with the Reinhardt, you just pop out that small foam section and replace it for a fraction mm-hmm. of what it costs to, re- to rebuild a McKenzie. So Reinhardt's are better foam and they're more economical in the long run. I've seen some people, now I don't know if this is a dumb idea or not, but I've seen some people use that spray foam to repair their targets and get yeah, a little com- bit more life. Com- completely dumb idea because it just it's not self-healing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It plugs the hole and as soon as you shoot it with an arrow, it just comes right out behind the arrow. It'll last like an hour, you know, like one tournament or something. You can buy the proper foam that you mix and patch. So they make foam, they make... Um, Repair kits, so you can repair your animals, especially the uh, the Mackenzies. You uh, mix up the foam, fill it in the hole, and then kind of take basically saran wrap or something and, and hold it in there while it expands and dries. Much, much better than the spray foam. Yeah. But yeah, the spray foam is the red-green, redneck way of, of doing it. They, they fill them with spray foam, and then they trim it off and then paint it, and then it's, it's more work than it's worth because it doesn't last. Yeah. It also doesn't have the stopping power at all because there's, it's not dense. So, do you want to wrap up? I would well, imagine like hunting hunters are going to use their hunting bows, which are right around you know sixty or seventy pound uh, pulls, kind of a thing for for that. But do people like for for target archery? Do people use lighter pull bows so that they're easier to shoot all day, or do they still use nope. a higher pound pull so that's a flatter shot? It's- 3D archers are, are almost all overbowed, meaning that the bow is heavier than they can handle. So when they draw the bow, they can tort themselves and fart and twist and all kinds of silliness, um, burn out their shoulders. Um, the reason why you want to shoot peak weight in 3D is because you want a flat shooting bow so that you basically, if you can hold the pin in the center at 10 yards all the way out to 30 yards and always be in the 10 ring then you don't have to worry about making errors in distance judging yeah reduces the the risk there quite a bit yeah if you have a long draw length then you are ahead of the curve in outdoor archery and 3d archery because a long draw length means this the arrow is on the string longer and will get more energy and more speed so anybody with a 30 inch 31 inch draw length they're laughing Mm -hmm. they'll have uh way more speed than somebody with a 27-inch draw length. So when I would shoot 3D archery, what I would do is I would set up, I wouldn't take my hunting bow, I would take one of my target bows, and I would set up an arrow that was the minimum legal weight allowed. So that was five grains per pound. So if I was shooting a 60-pound bow, that means that my arrow was 300 grains, which is exactly five grains per pound. It was as light as I could get it, uh, in order to have it fly as fast as possible. So I was able to get speeds right around 300 feet per second out of my uh, 3D bows. I would get a fast, fast bow, crank the weight to 60 pounds, reduce the arrow weight by um, smaller veins, lighter point weight, um, make it as short as I possibly could so that it would still fly straight and be safe and then I could go to a gymnasium for an indoor target tournament or an indoor 3D tournament and never have to adjust my sight. I just put the pin in the middle, uh, make it precise on the small animals because you had a smaller scoring zone and on the big animals you had a bigger scoring zone so you had a, uh, a more forgiving uh, 10 zone, right? The 10 on a on a porcupine target 
at 10 yards might be the size of a toonie. But then you get to the caribou target at the back, well, it's almost a six-inch circle. So you could hold in the middle, drop to the bottom, and still be in there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you, you mentioned your target bows. How, how are your target bows different than your hunting bows? The hunting bows will be shorter axle to axle. So they'll be, you know, anywhere from 32, in some cases all the way to 36. Some people would consider a 36-inch hunting bow a large bow, but my Bowtech Commander was a 36. It was perfect for hunting or target. Uh, a longer bow, axle-axle, tends to be more forgiving, meaning easier to shoot, not as, not as critical to form errors. Hunting bows, when they're, hunting bows are short, which makes, makes them twitchy, uh, harder to get a good anchor on, um, and hunting bows have shorter brace heights. Again, a shorter brace height, that's the distance between the handle, where your hand goes, and the inside of the string. If it's shorter brace height, that means that the arrow is on the string longer, which gives it more speed, uh, which, again, makes it less forgiving less to, to form errors and technique errors. A target bow is going to be longer, which is going to make it more forgiving. It's going to have a longer brace height, which is going to make it slower, but more forgiving. Um, the cams are generally not going to be quite as hard or as stiff. Some cases they are, some cases they aren't. You know, some bows used to have a valley when you get to full draw, there was like this valley as cushion at the end and they could kind of hang out in bows. Now, when you pull the full draw and you get to the stop, you're at the stop. They're a hard wall. There's no give, there's no flexibility, there's no valley. Um, that's not really good on a, on a hunting bow. A hunting bow, you may be at full draw for 30, 45 seconds, maybe even longer, if the deer or bear is onto you. And if you move, the buck of a lifetime is going to walk away. So you could be at full draw for a long time, which also means that the hunting bow is going to have a higher percentage of let off. So the bow is 60 pounds to pull, but has an 80% let off, which means you've lost 80% of that 60 pounds. So you're only holding, you know, 10, 11 pounds. But in a target bow, I've seen myself hold 20, 22 pounds. And that's because pulling against 22 pounds makes you stable and it slows down your sight while you're aiming and makes aiming easier. Your sight is not jittery and jumping all over the place. So more holding weight tends to add stability at full draw than less holding weight. But if you're in a tree stand and you're at full draw for, you know, 30, 40 seconds, you don't want to be at full draw with 20 pounds. You want to be at full draw with 10 or 11 pounds. Mm-hmm. So the amount of let off is is one of the defining differences between a hunting bow and a target bow. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think pretty much most uh, most hunting bows these days use the multi-pin system for the sights as well. They'll use uh, that's you know, you'll you'll get a pin for 20, 30, 40, and and you know one for 50. Whereas uh, a lot of the target bows that I've seen have. Uh, Maybe like a magnifier or something that they crank for for distance, mm-hmm. um, because when you're hunting, if a if a deer shows up at thirty yards, you kind of have to draw and shoot. You can't sit there and and dial in your sight for thirty yards and and be monkeying around with that kind of stuff, right? Well, that's exactly the sight that I use. I have a a hunting sight which has one pin and it's on the pendulum, so I unlock something on the back and I push the pendulum up, which brings the sight down for further distances and if i push the pendulum up it brings the if i push the pendulum up it brings the sight down that's for further distances if i push the pendulum down it brings the sight up for close distances and um 
you know, you're right. If you have fixed pins, one pin set for 20, one for 30, one for 40, there's no moving. You know that that tree with the yellow ribbon is 40 yards and the deer standing next to it. Then I use my yellow pin. I know that tree right there with the green ribbon is 20 yards. I use my green pin, which is set to 20. That's a lot. Do you easy. do that where you hunt? Because I've, yep. I've, I've, I haven't used the ribbons, but like I, I have, um, uh, I actually just use a rangefinder. I've range found like where I bow hunt, and I, I know where each tree is, and I know uh, which pin to, to match it up to. Yep, and I, I figure them out with the rangefinder, and then I mark them so that I don't have to dig for the rangefinder to keep my my movement down. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if uh, if you can't adjust your sight because you're going to get busted like the one that I have is adjustable, um, you better know your drops, right? So you set it for 20, and you know where to hold at 30. So what you do there is if you have a, uh, you take an archery target, if you've got a 3D animal, great, use that. If you don't have a 3D animal, you can get a, a poster or a target um, at Canadian Tire that looks like a picture of a deer. You put that on your archery target, and you set your sight to 20, and you walk back to 30, and you hold bang on in the middle and you see where your sight where your arrow drops and if your arrow drops four inches well then you know that you've got to aim four inches high with your 20 yard pin yeah so, or you use multi pins yeah and then you gap right you set one at 20 one at 30 and if the deer happens to be at 25 you aim you actually use the space between the pins as your point of aim yeah exactly yeah Kathy, is uh, that what you do with your uh with your compound bow Wait, what? Hello? Who is this? What's going on? I have no idea. Yes, that is what I always do. <laughs> you could have actually contributed to this by asking us questions that maybe the listeners who aren't in archery were thinking as well. Uh, I didn't have any. Us. I okay. tried to do that. I tried to play dumb and, 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 and be dumb and uh, ask the dumb questions. Oh, there you go. So <laughs> um, in closing, you get what you pay for with arrow or with uh, releases. You buy a cheap release. Don't ex- good results you need to get the best most appropriate release money can buy that's the one thing you don't skimp on and then probably uh, a good bow sight and of course you have to make sure that your arrows match your bow make sure that the bow fits you if your draw length is 29 inches the bow needs to be set to 29 there are some exceptions but we won't get into that now just 29 will do or 28 or 31 whatever your draw length is and um the arrows have to match the bow because if you get an arrow that is not spined correctly for that peak weight, it could literally fail. And go on the internet and Google broken arrow in hand if you want to have some nightmares tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So any final thoughts on, on anything, Adriel, before we move on? I'll get into it. I mean, if you if you haven't gotten into archery yet, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's I think it's easier to... to just start shooting a, uh, a bow than it is to, st- to start shooting a rifle simply because you can do it in a, in a backyard out, out in the countryside kind of a thing, right? Some cities have regulations that say you can't discharge a bow within city limits, so beware of your municipal uh, regulations. But if you're out in the countryside, it doesn't take anything to uh, set up a target, um, set up some bales or whatever as a backdrop, and uh, and just hammer out, you know, some, some uh, shots for an hour or two, right? It's... Uh, it's nice and relaxing. There's no uh, uh, earphones required, and uh, it's a lot of fun just to just to you know kill an afternoon. Absolutely, and you know it's more accessible because there's no licensing required. 
Um, the equipment is the same or more than firearms in some cases. Like I need to buy a new target sight. It's like 400 bucks. And I used to, I used to laugh. <laughs> I used to have two of everything, $400, whatever, $500 for a sight, whatever, $200 for a release, whatever. Now, man, I'm like $400. That's a gun. I can get me a gun for $400 target <laughs> sight. And that's just a sight. Then I need a scope. Then I need a lens. Oh man. Yeah. I forgot how expensive this stuff is. Anyway, um, but yeah, you know, definitely. Um, but you want to get a good start because you don't want to develop bad habits in your technique, in your form. And it is a technical thing. Uh, the gear has to fit you and you have to do things correctly. Um, and so I would definitely recommend an archery club, join a club and get some good, get some good instruction right from the get go so that, you know, you decide that you're shooting okay and you want to try and improve your game and you get it, you, you know, you meet up with a coach and you're a cobbled mess and he changes everything that's going to frustrate the hell out of you. So get good instruction as soon as you can before you start developing bad habits. Mm-hmm. You don't want bad habits in the zombie apocalypse when you're using your bow. Yeah, because, that's right. You know, it's a it's an excellent skill, and uh, you know you will be the one shooting all the zombies in the zombie apocalypse with your bow, so that the zombies don't hear your firearms. And in the apocalypse, it's all about the long bow or the recurve. Toss the compounds, unless you're on a rooftop, then use your compound so you make sure you hit something. But you know, like uh, I forget which archer it was that said, if I wanted to shoot an apple off of your head, I would use my compound bow. If I wanted to shoot you in the chest while you were running at me, I'd use my longbow. Because longbow is just, it's eye-hand coordination. You look where you want the arrow to go, and you let it fly. And your eye-hand coordination kicks in, and with practice, it'll basically get there. Um, within not too terribly long, with a longbow or, or a traditional bow or, or of any kind, a recurve or a longbow, at 20 yards, you should be able to keep six arrows on a pie plate, a 12-inch pie plate. And if you if you can't do that, don't ever try and go hunting with it, please. I'm begging you. Yep. And you know, start at start even with a compound bow. Start close. I, I see guys missing a butt at practice at 20 yards. Well, why are they at 20 yards if they're missing? You should never miss the butt. So if they're missing the butt, that means they need to get at 10 and stay at 10 until their technique and next and form is down pat and then move them to 15, and then move them to 20. Nobody wants to be that guy that missed. So don't let somebody push you too fast. And finally, if you go to a club and you're talking about compound archery, if the person's not comfortable tuning and adjusting the equipment, find somebody else because I see many, many archers who are struggling, and that's because the people who are helping them don't know how to adjust the equipment to fit the archer, and they end up adjusting the archer to fit the bow. And that's just all kinds of bad. Cool. Well, um, I guess we can go on to listener feedback. I'll take the first one here. It's from Dallas. Hi, Slamfire crew. And uh, this email came with a bunch of pictures. So um, just try to imagine. I'll uh, I'll try to paint a picture in your mind here. Actually, better. Yeah. Why don't we post them on our Facebook page? Because they are epic. Oh well, that's a good idea too. That's probably better than me describing them. Uh, here are a couple of critters I've hunted with my IWI Tavor. I live in BC, so it's legal to hunt big game with the, the 223. These are three wolves I shot while doing some nuisance trapping for a rancher. Imagine. Can I hear some oohs and ahs? No? Mm. No? Okay. Ooh. <laughs> uh, thank you for humoring me. You're welcome. Uh, this, is, 
This is my biggest buck I've ever taken, and the best part is I got it with my favorite rifle. I keep it as a trunk gun for predators, but I always keep some Barnes TSX on hand just in case I see a buck. Turns out it performed flawlessly at 150 yards. It passed just above the heart, and I recovered the bullet just under the skin on the opposite side of the entry wound. Perfect. Thanks for the great show, Dallas. Yeah, those pictures were really cool. I enjoyed looking at those, so thanks, Dallas, for sending those in. Are you holding it up to the microphone right now so that everyone else can see, too? No, I'm just saying that I am. I really aren't. I really aren't. The only only thing better than shooting a black wolf is shooting a black wolf with a black rifle. I mean, With black bullets. We need some black bullets now. (sighs) You know? That's awesome. Silver tip. Oh, yeah, those are nice. There we go. Uh, Trevor, you want to take the next one? No, give it to Matthew. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Matthew, do you want to take this one? All right. (laughs) From Hillbilly. Good morning, folks. I'm writing to let you know how much I'm enjoying your efforts on this great podcast. I listen to it on my hour commute to work along with modern riflemen uh, and others. Every show usually presents thoughts and points of view that I agree with and gets the wheels in my head going as I come at this with my own perspective guided by by my lifestyle and experiences. The opinion that we must change political views uh, from a recent show from the inside is bang on. Most voters are city dwellers that have no experience or use for guns and we all know that politicians want to cater to the majority. If all gun enthusiasts are anti-whoever is in power... We are automatically excluded from any voice, and our efforts will be used against ourselves. We will automatically become adversaries. Not a good plan. I'd be pretty careful about the use of words, even in this community, as we have a pretty tough image problem to improve. Uh, for example, say marksman instead of shooter, or um, armed hiking. He <laughs> said, yikes, don't let the antis get a hold of this one. All right, duly noted. No more armed hiking, I suppose. Uh, the endless banter and drifting off topic on the show has greatly improved just in time as I had my thumb hovering over the delete button. The wealth of knowledge and the maritime flavor has kept me here with you guys. I live on the farm after uh, morning chores. I can get a few minutes of hunting or target shooting before I drive an hour to the big city to go to work. When time does not permit, I get some shooting practice with air guns closer to the house. I am impressed that some of these are as accurate as my 1403 uh, there is a great form called CAF, or Canadian Air Gun Form, serious uh, target t- uh, for uh, uh, up to 45 caliber hunters and the casual BB gun folks all in one. Oh, okay, so 45 caliber air guns. That's crazy. Um, might be a good show topic. Look up Gary Barnes. He may want to come on, and you'll be impressed by his big bore rifles. You know what? I bet you Trevor will be as impressed with those as I am about the archery. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've seen one of these 50 cal air guns shoot through a half inch sheet of plywood, and I've seen video online of people shooting hogs in the head with these things. Yeah, they Down. are pretty crazy. They are. Yeah, I've I've always liked air guns. I thought they were always. I've always thought they were neat. I've got a, a small collection of my own, all mostly cheap ones, but a lot of fun to play with. The nice thing is you can play with them in the backyard, right? You don't really have to worry about making too much noise and bothering the neighbors. Anyway, he continues on, your show is exposing me to other facets of the sport that I would not otherwise see as I'm only a rifle and waterfowl hunter as well as a daily target shooter. I share your disdain for the media, but would like to offer some possible reasons for their lack of understanding of our sport and hobby. Severe cuts to financing has left the newsrooms pretty much gutted of senior staff and are now filled with young people who are all from white-collar families that have no rural or hunting backgrounds at all. 
The only firearms they have seen are on TV or what the government tells them is acceptable. We need to somehow expose more Canadians to the sports side of our hobby to make us less scary. Clay, sports, and target matches that are more mainstream would help. I believe that contrary to much uh, that has been expressed on Slamfire, no political party or government has any influence on the content or opinion of media in Canada. All newsroom managers, however, want ratings and favor stories that shock and move the majority. That word again. So if there's no plane crash that day, but someone was seen with a red rider BB gun, it would be spun out of proportion by these city kids. They're catering to the majority who are not gun savvy. Makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, as the workforce changes, uh, the dynamic of it and younger people who, who don't have any sort of rural experience. I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense that uh, they're sort of scared of guns. And so they're going to sensationalize them as best they can. And they don't know enough about them to, to, to give us the, the proper facts. And now, unfortunately, journalism isn't what it used to be where people would go out and actually find the proper facts before reporting on them. A lot of people just rely on what experience they have and they don't consider that other people might know more than they do. But, um, that's that's a, a story for another time, I suppose. Uh, last thing, Trevor, you have been blessed with a great voice, but the audio from your setup only lets a trickle of it through. The bandwidth of your mic or something is really a mess. I mean, it really sucks hard. If the <laughs> microphone is the culprit, I'll be happy to send you a new one in support of this great show. Just let me know where to send it and what device you are using. I guess that's it. Sorry about the grammar, etc. I'm a native French speaker, and I'm not all that good, even in my own language. That's okay. I'm not even all that great in English. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, your English is better than my English. Yeah. Keep up the great work. I appreciate all the effort, especially considering the great salary involved. Now I'm off to subscribe to the CCFR. Regards, Hillbilly. Awesome. So a lot of good points there. Um, And we can be ambassadors, or we can sometimes be our own worst enemy. And I think... Um, it's fair to say that we, we say things like armed hunting, uh, on purpose because we know it's going to irritate a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think every once in a while we like to take a dig and, uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to poke the bear a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and it's kind of fun to, to have fun with this too. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny to say it. It's, it's kind of a funny mental image. I get that uh, that the antis would probably take it and run with it, but at the same time, yeah, I know that some antis have listened to the show, but really, it, are we really? I don't know. I, yeah, I guess like, we'll. I guess we can watch what we're saying. We'll be careful with it, but I don't think we're going to be too terribly careful with it. No, and it depends. I mean, context is everything. Yes. If I'm, absolutely. if I go see, if I go see my liberal MP, the vernacular that I use is going to be different than what I use at the range or even what I use on the podcast because the podcast is essentially aimed at our fellow gun owners. So we know that they're going to appreciate that joke and not, you know, of course this is 215, 2015 and everybody's offended by everything. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, it's with, with the recent initiative of the Canadian coalition for firearms rights to try and make the non gun owning, public as an important audience as the gun owning public it's something to keep in mind that uh you know what we say will 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 cause us to be judged yeah i think it's important that there's a lot of thought put towards it and i believe that that rod is going to put that kind of thought into what to say and what not to say um you know if you look at his videos on on youtube he he does have like a really great uh, way of explaining some of these things that we have to face. And I think that 
he's going to pick the right issues. Um, not everyone's going to agree with it because for the the shooting community, there's there's as many opinions as uh, as stars in the sky kind of thing when you look at it. But uh, I think that uh, I think that he's going to. I would rather Rod do Rod's thing and get that message out to a whole bunch of people than Rod not do his thing and we mm-hmm. put no message out to no people. I think putting her head in the sand is. Uh, is not the right strategy. I think t- saying something is the right thing to do, and I think that he is going to be saying the right kind of things. Yep, I concur. Trevor, I'm going to take the next one now. No, no, I'm just kidding. This <laughs> <laughs> next one comes to us from Sean. Sean says, gents, no squib in my MMP. So this is, he's writing back to tell us about last week when he had a catastrophic failure, and we talked potentially about it being a squib. I mean, yeah, he knew it was a squib because he checked the barrel right after. But anyway, uh, it was definitely a double charge as the case was damn near vaporized. I am not a dirty left-hander. I just use my left hand <laughs> running as high as possible. Uh, and the explosion blew out the extractor on the right side and pushed gases out the left side. Anyways, ouch. Good news is the frame is okay. And I plan on purchasing a salient arms tier one ported serrated slide and match fit tin coated barrel for the mmp huh. if you haven't been the, if you haven't seen them imagine if an angel front fell from heaven and decided to get into shooting it decided to take the best striker fired gun and sprinkle magic angel dust on it and voila so good seriously look at it <laughs> i run a dylan 550b uh there you go the Dylan 550 has been the cause of many a double charge and many a squib. The problem is, and I'm not saying that, well, I mean, you got a double charge, but here's how a double charge can happen on a Dylan 550. And this is me talking, not Sean. The Dylan 550 is a progressive press that is not auto indexing. So when the tool head comes back to rest, the, the pieces of brass on the tool head on the shell plate haven't automatically rotated to the next station. So imagine you pull the handle down, the tool head comes up, and the brass gets charged with a powder charge. Then the phone rings. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you hang up the phone. You go back to your press. You forgot that you walked away without rotating the shell plate over to the next station, and you crank the handle again. So you've just put two powder charges in that same case. Then you hit the rotate the shell plate and carry on. And unless you, you know... It, it's hard to detect a double charge in some cases, and depending on the bullet weight and the powder charge you're throwing. So it can happen easily on any progressive press that is not auto-indexing if you forget to to uh, to move the, uh, the shell plate. If you move it too soon, you get a squib because you didn't put powder in. If you don't move it, you can get a double charge. So you really got to be on your game with a 550 and there are people that have loaded tens of thousands of rounds on a 550 for years and have never had a squib and never had a double charge but it is possible so be on your game uh i use campro projectiles and hodgkin tight group i ran the batch where i blew up the gun with max loading which is not good part of the issue i had with that batch was that i was reloading on election day, grr, liberals. I must have gotten distracted early on when I saw Trevor's home province get swept red. Hey, you know what? It's Matthew's home province too, man. <laughs> why? Why the association? Anyway, since that was you're really the noisy f- ones, you get all the attention. Uh, that's what it is, squeaky wheel. 
since that was my since that was really my first reloading session ever, it has really dis- detracted me from reloading again. I'm sure I will nut up in the near future, but for now, it's 124 Federal American Eagle in competition. So yeah, can I say it, guys? Can I yeah, say it? thanks, Trudeau. <laughs> Trudeau caused a double trade. Yeah. Um, on the plus side, the new public safety minister, Ralph Goodall, is in my city of Regina. Being that I am a field officer coordinator for Regina in and area with the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, I plan on visiting Ralph consistently when he is back in, back in his home riding, and try and sway him to our side. Great, ca- great cameo from Owen last week, and Adriel, you are fitting in great. Keep up the good work. Regards, Sean. And I think Sean is actually registered for SummerSlam, and he's uh, coming all the way from Regina. I think it's the same Sean. So, yeah. Uh, Sean, don't let this incident scare you. Just get the light. Make sure you look in the case every time. Make sure you remember to manually index your shell plate every time. And if something happens to distract you, always look at your cases and figure out where you are in the process before you crank that handle. And he didn't say he was, but just for anyone else listening out there, make sure you're not drinking while you're reloading. Or not drinking heavily. Yeah. (laughs) One or two wobbly pops, that's about it. Yep. No, no, you've got to be on your game, regardless of whether it's single stage, uh, turret, doesn't matter. You've got to have a system in place to make sure that you're looking into your cases before seating the... uh, Seating the bullet. I've loaded one squib on a 45, one on a 9 mil. Don't even know how that happened. The squib that I loaded on the 45, I loaded on a 550. And then at the charity shoot in Ontario, this could have been scary. Uh, my buddy was shooting my 9 mil, and then he put it away. And then he took it out again. He was the last one to shoot it. The last round of the magazine was a squib. He didn't realize it. Put the gun away. Took the gun back out, put in a mag, couldn't seat around. What's going on? Try again, try again, can't seat around, can't seat around. And Mike Dinovan was there. He said, you got a squib. I'm like, please, Mike, I don't get squibs. Sure <laughs> enough, I took the gun apart, looked down the barrel. There was a squib. Now, he shot the gun last and put it away. If that squib had gone halfway down the barrel and stopped, next time I took up that gun, I wouldn't have looked in the barrel. I never do that. You're supposed to. I would have taken that gun out and fired it, and it would have blown up, and I would have been at a loss to figure out how or why. Somebody shoots your gun last, you know, you've got to inspect your stuff. So thankfully, the bullet just barely left the chamber, and he, he wasn't able to chamber around because that, that could have been bad. Mm-hmm. And then there was another time I was with Matthew, and we were, or I was trying some test loads in my Thompson Center Venture, and I had loaded up uh, something like five squib loads in two two three when I first got into reloading rifle. Thankfully... Not enough pressure was created in the case to dislodge the bullet. I took them home, pulled them, no gunpowder in any of them. Hmm. Now, I always shake my rifle ammo because even at 223, except for my 27.5 compressed 223 loads, you can hear the powder in a rifle case. So, you you know, you're looking, you're looking down the bottom of a .30-06 case and you're only running 47 grains of powder, it's kind of hard to see. But once the bullet is on there, you shake it, you know there's powder in there or not. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll take the next one. Uh, I think it's to me anyways. From Tom, Frosty the Z-Man, FFS, which stands for something that if you'd it's like to... It's Fs! Google it! Fs, no, man. No, it's it means something. Um, okay. 
Uh, it's pronounced C-Z, not C-Z. We're in Canada last time I checked. He made fun of Wes on the last show about optics terminology. It can't pronounce the last letter of our alphabet correctly. That annoys me. Z row thumbs from me today? No, actually, he wrote zero thumbs for me today. Excuse it's funnier your way, though. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, that was good. That was good. Excuse me while I go catch some Zs. Ha ha, Tom. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Matthew, you want to take the next one? Sure, from Kelly. Hi, Trevor, Matthew, and Ariel. Yo, 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 stop. She wrote oh, Adriel. by the way, Adriel. this is Adriel. Kelly. Huh? What? She wrote Adriel, not Ariel. Did I say? Oh, well, it's too you bad. You totally said Ariel. Did I really? You did. Oh, where's the hang-up button on this thing? Jeez. Sorry, man. That was unintentional, but hilarious all the same. Oh, by the way, this is Kelly Adriel, the other Kelly, not the West Coast Kelly, but the new the new shooter Canada who bailed out on the Black Badge course, Kelly. Yeah, that Last one. Thursday night while listening to the show in bed, I was not sure which was creepier, the good night in the soft voice Trevor likes to use or the yo-yo-yo Kelly, which is something I hear in my day di- daytime job. Not something I want to hear going to bed. What if I did the yo-yo-yo in the soft voice? That would probably be double creep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On another note, just got back from a meetup and weekend get-together with Stacy, George, and Thomas. We had a great time at the range, and we met Rick and Alex, who you all know from the Daniel Shaw and Tom Nelson courses. Um, And Rick was on the show with you after the last Daniel Shaw course. Yes, we know Rick. Rick the pilot. He's awesome. Yeah, Rick the Uh, guy who carried Shaw 100 meters on his shoulders. That's right. And Alex. Yeah, well, he didn't – no, he didn't carry Alex, too. I'm just – Wanted to say Alex again. Alex was there too. That's cool. Hi, Alex. Um, Rick was our RO, and we even got to meet Jess, his better half, later in the evening. Good people. Even better when you consider that they put up with our shenanigans. I fell in love with a Grand Power Excalibur and the Benelli Nova that I was trying out. Stacy loved Kevin's ACR, and Kevin got to do some cowboy action. It was a blast, but it would have been better if we had you all there. Mm, I concur. I concur. Uh, So the main reason we met up was to get the podcasters playing cards that we had made. I have all the Canadian orders and will be sending them out shortly. They turned out better than we had hoped. The only thing missing is Adriel and Jewel on their own cards. I guess we'll have to make another set. Enjoy your cards, guys, and watch for them in the mail. Good night, Trevor, Matthew, and Adriel from Kelly. (laughs) That was creepy. (laughs) Uh, Well, she said, whoever's reading this, please read that in a soft, creepy voice. So I complied. Good night, Kelly. Uh, If you'd like to have your email read in a creepy, soft uh, voice by Matthew, Trevor, or I, uh, please email the show. Uh, You can email us at slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now, on to iTunes reviews. Um, And we actually had a a review that I found. What was this? I think it was on the U.S. side of things and itunes is funny because it doesn't let you copy the text out so i had to like, screen cap it if you guys are wondering why it's like so weird looking uh this is a five-star review from latham i really enjoy this podcast it could be because the hosts are funny except they're not particularly funny <laughs> it could be because of their vast firearms knowledge but it's not really that vast it could be because they're so darn nice Yet, sometimes they're a bit cruel, especially to one another. I don't know why I like it, but I do. A lot. I give it two American thumbs up, which at the current exchange rate equals two and two-third Canadian thumbs up. <laughs> and he nailed us at every turn. I can't... Well, you know what, Latham? When you're right, you're right. 
Are you gonna put, are you gonna put fifty one point six six? I put fifty one and two thirds. <laughs> oh, I gotta use fractions like the Americans too, instead of like points, decimals, decimals, Matthew. <laughs> I'm a carpenter. Leave me alone. I'm not a carpenter. That's I don't know why I said that. Uh, if you'd like to leave an iTunes review, please remember to leave a five star rating uh, on iTunes. Uh, it helps uh, people find the show, and it's uh, it's funny for us as well. And your review could be read on the air, like Latham's has here uh, as well. Um, out to uh, shoutouts to uh, Paul Lombard. Paul is uh, a New Brunswicker who uh, I met through the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. He's uh, on the uh, a member of that group and and working over there to help get things off the ground. And uh, he's in the Florenceville area, Matthew. I don't know if you ever met him out at the Florenceville Range. I and have not. Did you know that they have a new gun range in Florenceville? It's no longer yes, at the I gravel did. pit. Yeah, Correct. I didn't know that. So he uh, he he works in an industry that has him traveling on occasion to this end of the province. So he was nice enough to stop by today and um, yeah, and chat and check out the guns and the reloading stuff. And it was uh, he had to get back on the road. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have talked for another hour. We got a AR selfie uh, out the door, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to his next visit up here. Hopefully, we can uh, head on over to the range. So, yeah, yay for new listeners. Yay. Who then sh- who then show up at my house? Like, all right, <laughs> thanks. I guess. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was awesome. Any other shoutouts? Nope. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to check us out on the Crusader Podcast Network at crusaderpodcast.com. There's a bunch of other really great uh, firearms podcasts there. Uh, we'd encourage you to join any or all of our national firearms associations. It's important that we support them and show that there's uh, plenty of uh, firearms owners out there who are willing to become part of the process and uh, show, our, show our, our strength. Uh, check us out on uh, Gun Owners of Canada. There's a forum there that we have that uh, people uh, you can use to chat about our show and uh, talk to Chris. Um, and like us on Facebook. We're at uh, 1,302 uh, likes. Talk to Chris. Did you say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he comments because, on like every show. Hey, listen, if, if Chris didn't comment on our GOC thread, I don't know if anyone would. <laughs> Yeah, he's certainly the most prolific uh, poster on there. Um, we're at 51 and two-thirds thumbs up and counting. That's And that was updated today. Uh, anyone want to say good night? Good night. Good night. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.